Radio. I'm Ray Burton and welcome to another Let's Talk Gardening podcast. Our mission is to provide listeners with interesting, informative topics and up-to-date information. My co-host is Faya Caro, an award-winning gardener, horticulturalist and media presenter. Faye's passion is educating people. Oh, and she loves bugs a lot too. My passion is simply beautiful, healthy gardens. And together each week, we cover many great gardening subjects. Saturday morning and here come the girls, Ray and Faye, with Let's Talk Gardening. And greetings, everyone. As I said, it's been an unusual morning and continuing. Great to be here with you. You're with Ray and Faye. And when you call in, you were speaking to the lovely Bev Daring, our garden researcher and chief garden show chef, John Glidden, is here to assist us as well. Um, Big shout out and thanks to Peter Kelly for all the efforts uh, this morning, Squire. You uh, did a stellar job. Thank you, and to Jim Crinan for jumping in as well. And Jim wrapped up the breakfast show with his cycling update just now. Jim returns next Saturday. Fayakara, good morning. Good morning, Ray. Yes. yes. What a week it's been, huh? Hey? Another, another. Oh, and so, a warm week. Yes, yes. And I go into survival mode, not only for myself, but my garden as well. And uh, it's just a matter of getting through these days, isn't it? And mm. just looking after ourselves, our animals, our gardens. Filling up the, the bird do, baths. Yeah, doing everything we can and, and, and getting through it. You really have to keep your eye on the ball, don't you? Because yep. sometimes the sprinkler blocks up or yeah, plants lot. grow when you're not looking at them and then <laughs> yes. they, they block and that they, changes everything. It, so. This is, happens a lot even in my new garden where some of my sprinklers are not reaching other plants because the plants in front of the sprinklers have grown exactly. you know, and that happens. And so I'm doing a fair bit of extra hand watering and picking out spots that aren't water's not actually getting to. And although the, yeah. the days are hot, you know, out there this morning it's quite comfortable so you can get out early or get out late in the day and just cast your eye over things walk around with your cup of tea and look at what's going on yes yes and a busy show today (laughs) Fayakara we we have got a busy show big great show Ray Yanship Lavender Farm we're having a chat with them it's been a while since we've spoken to Carla see what's happening up there it's lavender harvest time so you are obviously up at Lavender Farm during the week I headed up there Thursday evening with members of our camera club and yeah for the first time I wasn't going to miss it Ray it's it's outstanding the restaurant looks lovely and oh beautiful place to be yeah absolutely the smell oh oh, divine I can imagine and we in the studio our special guest this morning is Ellen Walker from Earth Wild Australia a brilliant lady highly knowledgeable and we're talking about changing things from the ground up regenerative can't get the word out regenerative farming <laughs> workshops and at five past nine we're chatting with Kim Fuster now he's the owner of Fuster's farm honey and I was at their factory yesterday and having a look around and what a story what a story they were founded in 1898 wow that's how long this family he's fourth generation that's how long this family have been in this business and Gee, they do it really well. Oh, um, they would have seen some changes over the years, wouldn't they? Oh, for sure, for sure. And uh, I was having a good chat with Kim yesterday and uh, 
it'd be interesting to learn the story behind Fuster's Farm and their products and what's different about them mm. and so beneficial for us. So we're chatting with Kim at five past nine. So we've got a bit going on and we've got some calls coming through. Shane of Cunderdon is a keen listener. Good on you, Shane. And he wants to know, is gardening Epsom salts good for carnivorous eating plants? Ooh, wow, I what a question. Do not think think so but carnivorous plants um, when we've covered them before they're very sensitive to minerals so mm. if you were giving carnivorous plants a drink you would use rainwater rather than uh, rainwater or distilled water so no no minerals they don't need it yeah okay mm, um, I definitely definitely would not give them Epsom salts no yeah. No way. And Kerry of Claremont uh, is following on from the ant chat last week and she's saying that she uses boiling water on her pavement to rid the ants and it works oh, very well. well. Done. That's yeah. a, a nice alternative. Yes. Yes. And I have a question for you. What's your go-to for mealybug at the moment? Uh, I do have some on my uh, agapanthus. They've been there yeah. for a while. I've got some on my clivia. I... I think eco oil would be the first thing. Mm. Um, if they're not in a prominent position, you could cut them off at the ground, but I'd do that sort of after last... the, the weather. Well, as a last resort, but also when the weather calms down a bit, but definitely eco oil first. Eco oil because that will hopefully smother. bring in some predator bugs because right. there are merely bugs. There are No, there are ladybugs that look like merely bugs. That's right. And it's very, very hard to tell the difference. It sure is. The, one of the differences is the, the mealybug destroyer, which is another name for it, will move faster. So it will be patrolling for mm. mealybugs. Mm. Mealybugs don't move far. Mm. Um, so, yes, removing any infestation that you can. Mm -hmm. If it's not too much, you can get a cotton wool bud and dab methylated spirits mm -hmm. on it. Mm -hmm. Check your plants and pots when you bring them home and up under the rim. Mm. Uh, and with the eco oil, the organic um, one, drench your soil as well. Because yes, there I think are that's very root important. Mealybugs. Get into every nook mm. and cranny and drench. Mm. Yes, okay. Well, it's I'm on it's it. best not to use insecticides because no. you do wipe out any of the good bugs that are around mm. as well. And then mm. that will, it just means there's a free for all. I've read also on Facebook, and you read a lot of stuff on Facebook, one lady dilutes metho, I think, one part, ten parts, and she uses that. Okay, yeah. And sprays it. Well, you to could get absolutely down into do the, that. Because obviously mm. that it's going to... Yeah, separate the leaves yeah, at, just ch -ch in at the base yeah. because they will harbour in there. Yeah. So what yeah. have you got it on, Ray? Uh, like you've had the problem with the swamp lily, Mm. Some of my clivias, and I have a crinum that is also always problematic with it. Yes, yeah, just certain yes. plants are yes. so susceptible. Oh, and and one of my syngoniums likes to develop mm. it. There's a few, and some don't, and some do, and they just seem to be like I'm always battling with it. There with are those plants yes. particular, but I have read about the drenching, and I know Garden Buddies, WA Garden Buddies, Kerry Dor, she actually talks about making up a great big tub of drench and dipping your plant mm. in so it's actually soaking all the way through, through every little aspect part of your plant. It cannot be missed and drenching in that way. Oh, it's a good, excellent really idea. It's a really good idea, I think, yeah. 
and well. and shout out to Kerry. Uh, she yeah. does a lot of promotion of us on her Facebook page. She does and puts up lots of great information. She's a little bit poorly at the moment. So Is she. Our thoughts are with you, Kerry, and hopefully you, you'll bounce back quickly. Okay, so that's mm. WA Garden Buddies, and that's a Facebook page that anyone can join, and oh. we recommend it. It's a well, great page. I know Facebook does have a, a bit of a bad rap from time to time, but I tell you what, there's a mm. lot of information, information sharing that goes on. Yeah, and, I agree. Um, yeah, sometimes it's hard to, to manage the, the different personalities that come up with their negative posts, I but know. they're often quickly dealt with. Yes, um, and that's how they We're there be. for a common purpose. My other half thinks I'm always on Facebook, but I'm not. I am on Facebook, but for the gardening pages. He thinks I'm reading <laughs> all, the, all, the, all the, you know, blip, but I'm not. I'm actually reading gardening, and mm. uh, it's, I always find it interesting. It's a little bit like just reading, I don't know, a book. Same sort of thing. Well, I'm researching, I'm studying, yeah. I'm thinking, wondering. <laughs> Eddie watches the news and reads this newspaper. Yeah, and I I read yeah. online. Yes, what yeah. we do. And I and I go to the interest groups. So yeah, a couple of, of course things. you've got some specialist groups mm. that you you are involved in. Yes. Yes. Very so nine four eight four one nine two seven is our number. Give us a call. Get in before the show gets uh, too further ahead because things get. Uh, uh, congested and start to bottleneck heading towards 10am in the morning. Absolutely. Now, a couple of things I need to talk about this week. Uh, mm. One is what to look out for in the garden, things that move. I know. Let's uh, talk about that because you well, have a situation, a friend of yours. All right. And I do want to say this weekend is the Fern Society first meeting of the year. Mm. It's on tomorrow at 2 o'clock. New members or visitors are always welcome. The topic this week is Elkhorns, I believe. And uh, John Banner-Savage delivers an amazing information session. Everything you need to know about looking after your ferns. There are plants for sale. Um, Bring along a plate to share for afternoon tea. And it's at the Manning Senior Citizens Hall, corner of Ley, L-E-Y, and Downey Streets in Manning, just down the road here, 2 yeah. o'clock tomorrow. Has he ever written a book, John? <laughs> he needs He's to. He's written a lot of articles. So he needs to do a He book. could make a book, yes. Yeah, he absolutely should. All right. And back to the other message. So this week uh, I got sent a photo and it was two little red marks mm. on a lady's toe. Mm-hmm. And I quickly said... Um, to me, it looked like a snake bite, and mm. you have to assume worst-case scenario. So mm. the story was the lady went outside. Uh, she wasn't actually gardening at the time. She moved a couple of bins around, she was barefoot, back up the path, just sandals yeah. uh, in an area where they're doing train line development. So mm. a lot of bush and wildlife has been dis- disturbed. Yeah. So anyway, she her foot felt uncomfortable it started to hurt she looked down there was blood uh she went back inside and sent the photo and i said to my friend tell her to ring an ambulance straight away uh the ambulance was there in a short time uh she also bandaged it so what had happened it appears she had been bitten by a snake now a lot of people don't know how to manage that yeah. and also a lot of people would probably go into shock. So, I would. I would. Um, the message is stop moving straight away. Immobilise. Don't move. The If it's uh, a bite where the venom has gone in, 
it moves through the lymph system, not the blood system. So if you don't move, that venom isn't going to go through your body. The other thing is you can get snake bandages or a bandage over the site. Mark it with a pen on the bandages to where the bite is. Don't move away any of the venom because that can be tested if necessary. And you basically, uh, you bandage right up to the thigh in this case. So two bandages are required. Um, there were three incidents in the hospital around the same time. Really? Now, this lady went in at four o'clock in the afternoon and wasn't released until nine o'clock the next morning. Hmm. She heard someone next to her with the same thing. They took off the bandage and were advised to wait because once the bandage comes off, boom, it, it moves through your system. So they then monitor to see if there's any reaction, uh, reaction or, or symptoms coming from that. Unfortunately, this gentleman went home, um, which is the wrong thing to do. I would so, say so. Yeah. You, and you know, what happened look to out. Him? Um, no idea. He wasn't prepared to wait. Um, oh, I'd yeah. be very happy. But it to has wait. happened that uh, so someone was bandaged. Um, the bandage was taken off. They felt okay and they later died because yeah. the poison then went through their system. Yeah. The other thing is snakes are pretty clever. You know, they're looking for food. They don't want to waste their venom. So it's yeah. it's possible that this was a dry bite yeah. and so therefore the venom wasn't used. But look how, I mean, she wasn't gardening. We mm. always say we're closed in shoes. If you're out in any bushland or shrubland, you know, even in suburbia, just be mindful. You might not see it, and that's no, the other thing. Clearly. So, yeah, yeah. a timely reminder. It's a time... I don't want to frighten everyone. And, no, you know, no, it's no. It's all fixable, it's, but... It's, it's, yeah, knowledge Knowledge is yeah. power. And, gee, I wouldn't be leaving the hospital. They'd have to be pushing me out. I want to be around <laughs> mm. where there's an emergency that they can assist me until I am absolutely know that I'm yeah. 100%. There's no way I would be wanting to leave. Oh, my Lord. Okay, we're in Bibra Lake. Patricia, good morning. Morning, Patricia. Oh, good morning, Faye and... Uh, oh, sorry. I'm Ray. That's okay. <laughs> sorry, Faye and Ray. Um, I was so intrigued with your snake story. Oh. Uh, yes, yes, I, I was in the bush for many years. Um, I have a leaf curl on my roses... And I have sprayed them with copper 10 days apart, but uh, copper-based spray, but um, doesn't seem to be doing anything. And I don't know why I get leaf curl on the roses. They're good for the first part of the season, but this mm. happened to me last year as well. I, I suspect it could be a bug. Patricia, are you able to send us a photo? Um, yes, possibly. Because I'll try anyway. Um, so you're treating it pretty much for for uh, fungal issues, whereas if it's a pest, you won't see any change from the spraying. Okay. If you can send us a photo, I can have a closer look uh, and make sure that you, you've got the right diagnosis there. Oh, okay. Uh, the, the buds are bitten. They're, um, you know, you can see where the buds, the top of the buds are bitten and they, when they flower, they're half-eaten. Mm. So it is a bug, I presume. Well, there's Katie Dids will do that, but the yeah. leaf curling is something different. It, it oh. really will help for me to see an image. Okay, I'll, I'll see if I can do that. All right, thanks, um, Patricia. Thank you, Lon. Okay. okay, cheers. 
And let's go to Bateman. We're talking about an olive tree. Morning, Mary. Mary. Good morning to both of you. Um, I'm ringing on behalf of my son. He lives in East Fremantle and he's got two olive trees and they're really good. But they're shooting all down the bottom and we're forever cutting it off. What can we do? Uh, or do we just have to still keep cutting it off? Well, if if the shoots are new, when they first come out, if you can tear them away, that will be yes. better than cutting them. Because right. when you cut you're encouraging new growth too. So they keep going and they keep getting tougher. By tearing them away, you might be able to break that cycle. Mm. Because there's quite a few now. I haven't been down there for a while and he doesn't seem to bother, but I'm the one that Mm. does it. So I'll tear them off. And it might be too late because if if they've been cut for years, they just get stronger and harder. If they're down really low, you can... Yeah, they're down low. They're down low. If yep. they're at ground level, you can put a brick on top of them once you've dealt with them. Bricks. Oh, right, or, right. You know, it's something that... Some shade cloth or something around, wrap it around and so, all. Well, it's got to be something pretty tough, but yes. Oh, right, mm. right. Oh, so put some bricks around it. Oh, right. <laughs> I've yeah. done that with my plum tree. <laughs> so mm. how does that work? Oh. You put well, bricks... it just it stops the light and... It oh. stops the growth coming up. Oh, okay. Mm. So it's just another way of killing it. It's, right. Yeah, not very pretty, tree, but it's it w- just it's serves the purpose. Radio. That's about all I can do. Yeah. Right, yeah, that's all. Oh, it's a bit of a nuisance because it doesn't look too good. You know, oh, I know. It's, up. Yeah. it's unsightly yeah. and annoying and it they just are. it's a problem that keeps yeah. coming back and mm. they get tougher and tougher. Like I, I struggle to manage them now. Oh, right. Mm. I know. I'll get some bricks and I'll do that okay. straight away. All right. Thank you very Good much, you, Mary. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Okay. And we'll have a short break. And after the break, we are chatting with Carla Champion from Yanship Lavender Farm. Looking forward to that. Curtain Radio. And thank you for your company so far today. Twenty-three minutes after eight. Uh, as mentioned before our break. We have Carla Champion online. Now, Carla is from the beautiful Yanship Lavender Farm. Good morning to you, Carla. You're with Ray and Faye. Yeah, good morning, ladies. How are you? Uh, we're very good, thank you. I was just telling Ray uh, how lovely your place is after finally getting up there. We, now, we spoke yes. to you about uh, three years ago, Carla, and it was yes. just when COVID had really, really started. I think we were all isolating, weren't we? We were, yes. And you built a cafe at that stage? That's correct, yes. Wow. So what's been happening for the last three Three years? Three years, yes. Yeah. Um, Well, we've been ticking over, obviously a lot slower than what we would have had we not had borders closed and stuff like that. But um, still getting a a fair bit of local interest, a couple of of the bus companies bringing out um, groups for morning teas and stuff like that. So, yeah, just ticking over, I guess. So been very lucky in that way. Mm, I I was amazed at the smell when you wander around and the bees were buzzing everywhere. Mm. There was dragonflies (laughs) and butterflies. Yeah, real something for everyone there, actually. Absolutely, yes. So a lot of our listeners wouldn't know the story. So when did when did the lavender farm came about? Come about yeah. and and why? So when we purchased the property in two thousand and five, it was Yanship Turf Farm, 
Um, so it's a 25-acre property. It had 10 acres of turf on. Um, and then in 2011, the Water Court put metres on all the bores in the district of Karabuda. And we were using more than triple the amount of water on the turf than what the water licence stated we had available. So we took out half the turf farm. We went from 10 acres of turf to five acres of turf. And we monitored the water for 12 months. And then this, we used 45,000 kilolitres more than what the licence stated. So we turned half of it off and went to five acres, 20,000 square metres. And we were still over by nearly 20,000 kilolitres annually on the water. So uh, basically we closed down the turf farm um, and we didn't do anything. And we then got a letter saying that they were going to remove the water licence from the property because we hadn't submitted any water meter reading. So it was quick thinking of what we could do mm. that was very water tolerant and hardy. And, um, out of three options we had, lavender was lavender was what we chose. Wow. And then the planets really aligned for you, didn't they? Absolutely, yes. Yeah, yeah. Definitely a, a very good decision, a right decision. Well, yes. yes. So what year did did you kick off? Like, when did you plant? 2015, when we planted the first 21,000 plants. Wow. Hmm. And then we've, we've propagated since and we've purchased a few other varieties. So we're up to about 40,000 plants now. That's amazing. And what varieties have you got and how are they used? So we've got six varieties. We do two varieties of the English Angustifolia culinary, one called B and one called Edgerton Blue which we use both the oil and the buds in the ice cream um, and the chocolate. And we use just the Edgerton Blue buds in the shortbread cookie oh. bites. Oh, lovely. Um, so they're, they're the culinary. And then the other varieties which we use for most of the products are the English intermediates. And mm. there's four varieties of that. So we do a, one called Vera, one called Grosso, one called Impress Purple, and one called Super. So... Lavenders are pretty tolerant of dry conditions. Are they like that from from planting? When you first plant, um, they need to be damp. They like the soil needs to be damp. So not swimming. They don't like wet feet. Um, but to establish a good root ball, it needs to be damp. So if we propagate, we would turn a sprayer on probably four or five times a day through summer. Um, for 60 seconds right? just okay. to keep that soil yeah. down. But you would yeah. get a really good solid root ball within a month. So that might explain why a lot of people lose lavenders yeah. at the outset. Absolutely, mm. yes. Yeah. So it's either overwatering or underwatering. But, yeah, to just they just need to be damp. To get established. Mm. Yes. Well, Once good. they're established, um, very, very hard to kill. Mm. Uh, unless they're literally swimming, literally swimming in water, you know, like the floods over east and stuff like that. Um, otherwise, is there, um, is there specific times for harvesting, Carla? We'll harvest. We'll start to harvest this year about the twentieth of Feb. So, we had a really early season this year for our um, English intermediates, our bigger plants. Um, generally, we would harvest at the end of February but they did flower closer towards the end of December, so two weeks earlier than what they've been in previous years. 
Gee, that's interesting because I, I know in my yeah. garden it was quite late. The agapanthus were very late, mm. but they're still in flower. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. The lavenders were really early, but our crepe myrtles along the driveway um, are late. Yeah, they are. They are. About yeah. two months, yeah, nearly. Mm. Yeah. yeah, indeed. Um, it's definitely different seasons, isn't it? Um, it is. And generally, I remember two years ago, December, we had the biggest rainfall on record, and we haven't had any rain, any summer rain, the last two years. Mm. How does rainfall impact you, or does it? No, it doesn't impact doesn't, us doesn't at all. Doesn't impact you at all. No. Okay, that's no, good. The lavenders love it. And we turn off, so we water from usually the beginning of December to the end of April, and then we don't water the lavenders again at all. Yeah, just rainfall. And just the so, rainfall. So when you harvest them, uh, how far yeah. down do you go? And is there any other pruning required during the year? Yes, so we'll harvest, it, like I say, towards the end of Feb. Um, we only take off probably a quarter of the stem with the flower head um, and then we'll distill that for the oil um, and then I'll go back and prune around about June, July. Right. Now another question I, I have for you, do you do it all by yeah. hand or do you have machinery that, that can do it? No, we have a machine that does it. Thank, thank goodness. <laughs> and Carla, you still make cleaning products from lavender? We do, yes. Yeah. We make loads of things from lavender. Yeah, so many, so many. And if I was telling me off air about the ice cream. Yeah, the ice cream, yeah. Amazing. Loads of things. Well, how many different lavender <laughs> ice creams have you got? There. We have seven different lavender ice creams. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. Situated oh, very close to Yantship National Park. Um, no signage on yeah. the road yet. No, not yet. Mm. And can you but just... Easy, easy to find through Google. If you Google Yantship Lavender and hit on the directions, it'll take you straight there. Yeah. And can you just rattle off some of the products, some of the, the uses for okay, the products? So shampoo, and, shampoo and conditioner. Lovely. Yeah. Um, shampoo, very good for dandruff. Uh Lavender, they did a study on lavender a few years ago, which is available on the um, Google as well, for um, alopecia patients, yes, and 30% yes. grew hair back. Wow. That's huge. But, yeah, but as a shampoo, um, yeah, very cleansing, very good for the scalp, very good for skin, very good for dandruff, cirrhosis, eczema, anything like that. Um, the same with the hydro, which is a byproduct from distilling the lavender, it's pure sterile water um, with 0 0.2 to 0.5% of oil that we can't extract from it. So it smells like lavender, tastes like lavender, but, yeah, very good for the skin, very good for any open wounds, um, cirrhosis, eczema, anything like that. Very good for pets. Um, soaps, we make all our own soaps. So we do yeah. lavender soap, the plain one, and then we do some um, blends of different oils, pillow sprays. Love that. Um, hand and body lotion, um, face cream, lip balms, mm. talcum powder, bath salts, Gosh. massage oil. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> and just I'm one, trying to think what's on the shop shelf. <laughs> uh, one more thing. You said you've yeah. got bees. Now, I guess if the bees are foraging on the lavender, 
Is there yeah. any lavender honey? Any transfer into the honey? There is um, generally around about the last, the last probably now the month of February. So when we we only have ten little beehives or ten big beehives, lots of bees. Um, I've not tasted it in, it in the honey. Some people say very faintly they can taste it in the honey, but then when we Generally, the first lot of honey we take from the hives around October, November um, seems to crystallise three or four months later. So what we do with the crystallised honey is we dig it all out of the pots and we blend it until we've got creamed honey. Mm. Um, it's more it's more dominant in the creamed honey for some reason. Okay. Yeah, so... And one more um, thing. I, when when got, does the lavender start flowering? Well, generally, we for the first five years, it was around about between the 10th and the 15th of January, but this year we had it at the end of December. Okay. So it doesn't flower in September or November? No, no. Too early. Too right. early. So only once a year and a very short window, eight, wow. eight weeks. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Mm. I mean, yeah. we, could, we could leave it longer, but the purple colour goes off mm. and and obviously extracting the oil from it the you know we we don't get the we still get the quality oil we just don't get the quantity of it mm. okay so oh, if listeners would like to know more they can simply go to yanshiplavenderfarm.com.au absolutely yes Fantastic. And even better, come and visit us and try an ice cream. Well, I think, yeah, absolutely, it's a lovely day out so uh, and a lovely destination, right? Mm. Yes. And so all, all year round, I imagine? All year round now with the um, restaurant open, yes. Wonderful. Well, it was lovely to catch up with you, Carla, and thanks for joining us today. Same. Thanks for having me. Okay. okay. All the best. All right. Take Bye care. for now. See you, Faisy. Bye-bye. That was uh, Carla Champion. Uh, great name from the Anship Lavender Farm. And it does seem sound like a really nice destination and a nice day out. And, you know, there's lots of nurseries on the way. I always think about that. <laughs> where, where else could I stop and veer off to on the way there or on the way back? Mm, Absolutely. A there day are. out. A day out. Well, Yanship National Park is just over the road. It's yeah. just opposite. The road is just opposite the end, one of the entrances, right? Uh, which is on Wanneroo Road. Right. Mm. Okay. No, it just sounds uh, beautiful. Uh, yeah. To get there any time, but I'm thinking particularly in summer, absolutely. We had a, a great afternoon, evening out there as the sun was setting and the, so many bees and insects. Just and a lovely vibe out Photographers there, there yeah. with their... Yeah. was interesting. I, I wasn't very good at taking the photos of the flowers, but what I liked was the stances of the photographers as they're trying to get that right position. Yeah, and there yeah. was um, an Indian couple where the customary or something they do the girlfriend goes into the fields and the boyfriend takes photos so there oh, was a bit wow. of that going on oh okay mm. okay very popular photographic destination yeah yeah as well mm. okay so some as you say something for everyone so okay now we shall move on we've got a few minutes would you like to do a couple of emails i would like to do a couple of thank emails you, ray you. uh this one came in from Kay, and she sent in some photos of some little lemon-coloured 
mushrooms that have popped up in her pot. Mm. Now, they're called pot plant dappling or flower pot parasol. And they come in varying shades of yellow. They start off as bright yellow balls mm. coming up from I've the soil. I've had that happen. Mm. Yeah, very common. Now, the fungi are not dangerous or mm. they, they don't have a negative effect on the pots and the plants. The fungi is actually what's known as saprophytic, no, saprotrophic, sorry, which means they feed on organic matter, feed mm. and break mm. down mm. organic matter. So they're in fact a nutrient recycler. Mm-hmm. And without fungi, we would be piled up with lots of dead wood mm. right across the world. Mm. So... Yeah, a lovely thing to observe. Yeah. Adds an element of mystique. Uh, you can imagine fairies have been playing around in that pot plant. Right. Okay. Well, and <laughs> teach you, children fine. not to touch them, to yeah. observe and to learn about yeah. them, not to – you don't have to fear things. No. Everything's not to be eaten and touched. That's they need correct. to check with an adult. Correct, correct. All right. And do you have another? I do. This has been sent in from Helen. And it's the acacia or, or one of the elephant's ears. And it looks like it's got, you know, little white colourings. It's just, it doesn't have the glossy green effect anymore. Is that one you've got? I, what, that alocasia? Mm. I, I think I do have that one. Mm. Might be, oh, uh, can't think of the name of it. Zara or something along those lines. Okay. Anyway, um, it it appears to be the work of the red spider mite, which are fairly prolific they around are at the moment. At the moment, they do, they're doing a bit of damage. They do like a dry environment. Uh, so, so one thing I always do when I'm hand watering my pots is to spray over the leaves. So you change the environment, mm-hmm. you make it unpleasant for the spider mite. If I've got a plant in a shade house or Hot house, I put it outside, give it more air, and let the good guys come in and and clean sort up. And, and there are good bugs out there; they won't be able to bring back these leaves. But monitor the new growth once again. Um, if you want to use more than water, an eco oil is a good um, go-to backup. Yep. Uh, now, Helen also says she's been buying clear plastic pots. She likes them, and she can see if the plants have enough water mm. the the great risk my plants have is too much love and watering well, well i suppose hello. that works yeah. well yeah my husband believes they're not as good as the roots are receiving light in some cases he said they all should always be in the dark well they normally are in the dark aren't they unless they're epiphytes mm. and of course epiphytes will grow in trees on trunks etc and they're quite happy to have light on their roots uh you can tell if your plants are happy by looking at them. Mm. I can tell how they're feeling and they know what I'm thinking. We have this like two-way communication thing. You just feel how they're feeling, don't you, Ray, when you look at them? I'm just processing what you said. Mm. Um, okay, they know what you're thinking and yeah. you know what they're thinking. Yeah, <laughs> you, you don't have to talk to them to communicate and you can tell if they're not happy because their leaves will be droopy or mm. their leaves will be going brown. Absolutely. Mm. Coming up, Ellen Walker will be joining us in the studio. Now, Ellen is from Earthwhile Australia, uh, a soil expert among many other uh, subjects. We shall return. Curtain Radio. 
You are listening to Let's Talk Gardening with Ray and Faye. And as promised, our special guest uh, has joined us, Ellen Walker. Just getting her headphones on. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for joining us. And we'll let you settle in there a little bit. And uh, we will uh, be talking throughout the morning. We encourage questions all about soil and your specialties being... Oh, we love those microbes that live yeah. under the ground that yeah. do so many wonderful things. <laughs> yes, I know. I love your enthusiasm. Yes, I remember that from last time. <laughs> you're very, yeah, you're very inspiring. So we encourage calls 94841927 and you can email your questions as well by going to gardening at curtainfm.com.au and at some point uh, in the next half hour I'll be giving away the Bigger Tree $75 gift voucher as well. Well, most people would not be familiar with what's in soil, I guess, Ellen. You know, they look they look at the dirt, the sand, and to them, there's nothing there. I mean, what could be exciting about it? You know, you, you pick up our what's termed gutless sands and yeah. it runs through your fingers and you try growing plants in it and they, they struggle, particularly in 39-degree heat. What's got you so fascinated? Because when you actually get to see what is in that gutless, what you call gutless sand, there's actually little bits and pieces that are moving. There's things that wiggle and jiggle. Things that <laughs> I wiggle and jiggle. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, well, yeah, well, you could be under there, right? But just <laughs> in well a really miniature form. And I think what it is is because we can't see it. It's so mm. small. These things are so small that you can't see them with the yeah. naked eye. And yet they have such an impact on the way that the soil actually comes together and can actually allow plants to grow. Of course, 39 degrees is a bit of a struggle for Mm. anything, isn't it? So what is in our bare sand? So in Jandicott, what have we got? Well, you certainly have bacteria in there. So when we're talking about these little wiggly jiggly things, we're talking about bacteria, protozoa, fungi and nematodes. And so they're the things that we particularly look for. Of course, you've got bigger things that you can see, your earthworms and your mites and things. Mm. But in the sand in Jandicott, you're still going to have bacteria for sure. Even in summer? Even in summer. So does it need water? Does it come more alive when it's damp? Absolutely. Water, food, shelter, friends. That's what we all need, Uh. isn't it? And air. Yeah, And so that sand, often when we actually put it into a test tube and we let it, particularly I expect from your garden, Faye, that uh, you let it sit for just a, a little while and you start to look under the microscope and you will see not only that jiggling of the, microsco- uh, of the uh, bacteria, but also those long strands of the um, fungi that are actually holding the soil together, mm. gathering those good nutrients, particularly like the phosphorus and the calciums that the, the plants need. So if you pick up a teaspoon of soil, mm. you've disturbed it. Will you see, will the fungi still be in strands? Yeah. Yes. Yeah? Yes. So if, if you think about it, because they're so, so, so tiny. Mm. So like the bacteria is like, you know, well smaller than the, you know, like about, I think about a hundred them might fit across a strand of hair. Yeah. And so if you think it'd be like picking up, um, you know, like a, a huge, what, what, what might you say? Like a basketball, but in a mining truck, sort of, you know. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. It's mm. there. You might not see it easily. Yeah. And so the, it's not going to disturb the basketball because it's not affected. So when you're talking about the teaspoon, that's not very 
I didn't do that very elegantly, but... Mm. <laughs> but uh, well, they do say there's oh, X in a, a teaspoon of soil, oh, don't yes. they? In a teaspoon of healthy soil, they say that there are more organisms than people living in on the Earth. world. Exactly. Yeah. I love that analogy. Wow. We're in Mandra. Good morning, Maureen. Oh, hi. How are you, girls? Good. Thank Excellent. you. Good. That's good. Um, just uh, a quick one. It's just why don't, uh, when you go to buy uh, soils from Bunnings or anywhere else, why they don't have the pH on them? So frustrating. I went through so many different soils because I, I had tested a pot plant and what it was in and my soil and I was trying to get that and, and I couldn't. When it says it needs a certain pH, you know, they don't have to pH. They say what it's okay for, but it's not really um, a great big range of plants. So why don't they just put the pH of what the soil is in on the on the bag? Perhaps uh, one of the reasons, Maureen, is, well, it would be useful, wouldn't it, firstly? But secondly, that the pH of that the plant actually uh, has, um, you know, is it's involved with the plant, the plant actually can change the pH by up to two points close to wow. the root system. And mm. that, so th- uh, even if you've got a, a soil that has perhaps a pH of maybe a six, but you're actually wanting it just as a five, the actual plant, when it's healthy... Has the capacity. Ha- it has the capacity mm. to change. To get what then, it needs. And then with that pH, it will then put out certain exudates mm. and mm. goos through the roots that will uh, mm. get the other microbes. And and I guess also most plants, well, most potting mixes are general potting mixes Mm. and potentially the pH may change as it ages Yes, and other factors come into play. Mm. Yeah, I I needed to bring it, um, my my soil down from an 8.5 down to what the pot um, had and it was down to 6.5 or something like that. So um, I, I was told I needed to put liquid sulfur on my soil or something to bring it down. But um, yeah, I just, it was mm. frustrating trying to find the right um, kind of sort of soil. You Maureen, know, so. what were you trying to grow? Yeah, exactly. Oh, I had a, um, um, I've had a magnolia. I bought about four five magnolias a couple of years ago, and one has survived. One's still in the pot it came from, a fairly big pot. And I just, it finally, finally flowered this year after about three years of being in the pot. So I just wanted to put it in the ground. And I just, because I've been waiting so long, I wanted to make sure that the ground was going to be more or less the same as the, the tree. Mm, because in Mandra... Uh, we're dealing with with limestone, coastal soils. The pH is yeah. higher, so for plants that are closer to pH neutral, you do for best results. You do want to change that soil that you're putting it into, but yeah. it it can change over time again. So you would want to dig a very big hole because, well, you want to get the tree established. Um, and, and keep the pH lower rather than high. And that's why it might be better growing in a pot where you can actually control the, the growing conditions because once it gets oh, into okay. the ground, you kind of can't. The, the other part yeah. to, to that too is that the trees will need a, quite a lot more fungi in the soil. 
And with a pH of something like eight, you're mm. likely the soil that you're looking at is likely to have a very be very bacterially dominant. So oh. perhaps looking at something that might feed the fungi as well, Maureen. So you, yeah. there might be a, a compost that's actually made. So if I went aboard a huge, a big, really big pot to put this uh, um, plant in, so what kind of soil am I buying to um, put the um, magnolia in? All right. Well, I'm going to throw this one to John because he's sitting out there. Uh, what what type of magnolia is it? Um, it's the um, the one that everybody wants. What do you call it? Little yeah. gem. The tulip. The tulip. No, 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 not tulip. the little gem. I've got that in another point there. The the little the the um, the tulip uh, one from the lovely flowers. Yeah. Uh, um, what's it called? Um, I know it. It's not deciduous. It's a deciduous Michaelia? magnolia. Pardon? It's a deciduous. Uh, yes, yes. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, well, John will find something. And but so you um, want to keep it, put it in the ground or keep it in a pot, Maureen? Well, I thought if I, I've got a huge pot uh, vacant Radio. now, I can saw and put it in there sort of because it's only in a, it, the, the pot it's in is not that big, you know, mm-hmm. so I it would do better. And the other thing I was going to ask, ants, I've, I've sprayed around the wall where the ants were going up and that, but in they're actually in the soil in a pot. And I, I mean, and they are huge pots with um, uh, plants in. What can you spray? Can you actually spray or put the antex or whatever you're using actually into the soil as well? Does that hurt the soil? Mm, you, you can, but if you were able to put the, the pot into a big tub and actually drown it, like really I, soak I, I it. I couldn't lift it. Yeah, I couldn't lift the pot up. It's huge. It, it's a bunch of big, uh, um, huge one. This comes up to my chest. The pot is quite mm. big. Um, you, but that's what you kind of need to do. You, you need to soak the pot. So even if you just put the hose in there, the water will fill up. But the what the ants do making their channels and making all these secretions, they, you know, the water will still just run around it. You actually want to fill all those voids and the way to do it is to to put it in a big, bigger bucket of water. Alternatively, yeah. also try a, a wedding agent. Won't oh, okay. hurt for sure. And, yeah. um, and a seaweed and just really drench the pot. Okay. And yes, the the sprays will harm the soil. And so if you're going to do something like that, then it's probably important to, uh, a day or so later, add the add some compost tea or, or something, some yeah. carbon, some food for the for the microbes to, to regrow more in. All right. We have okay. to quickly move along, but straight after the break, I'll tell you about the potting mix. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank Thanks. You. All right. All right. Bye. Cheers for that. Bye. Curtain Radio. You're tuned to Let's Talk Gardening. We will be going to the 9am news shortly. And Maureen, uh, as suspected, magnolias like a slightly acidic oil of around five to six. Uh, And you can get this in the bag mixes for things like blueberries or camellia and azalea. They they are a more acidic mix. Okay. Now, Alan, you were saying that... Any trees, like a 
acidic soil of around six. So lower than neutral, lower than seven. Yeah, so not necessarily just six, but lower than than neutral because it, that's just in, if you think about plant succession. And when we're talking about, we're talking about things like starting from your very simple weeds, like dandelions or things like that in the garden, through to your old growth forests. And so the pH tends to be higher for the weeds, so more bacteria, and they tend to be more bacterially dominant soils. And bacteria ooze this bit of a slime that tends to be a bit alkaline. Whereas when you get to the other end of things, we find a lot more fungi in the soil, like hundreds mm -hmm. of times of the, the biomass of the bacteria. And the, um, the, the fungi actually excrete something that is a, a little bit more acidic. Okay. And so this is sort of, it all sort of ties in. Mm. So, so whatever our gardens are, how can we help them to be more acidic? So if, it, if we're wanting to grow trees or blueberries, and so when we're thinking about blueberries and strawberries, they tend to grow in forests under the, you know, in the shade. And so that's why we're, we head towards more of that acidic side of things. So basically we're wanting to increase the fungal levels in the soil. That's one of the, one of the things to do. And so to do that, we're looking at fungally dominant compost. So compost, like I say, that's or worm juices that have been made predominantly from wood chips. Mm. Another thing is fish hydrolysate, which is made, not, not fish uh, emulsion, but fish hydrolysate that's made from tough stuff because fungi like to eat tough mm. stuff. Mm. Yeah, so. yeah, they do. Hence the, the organic matter in the plant mm. pots. Mm. Right, okay, so compost. I never thought of adding wood chips to my compost, actually. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I just didn't. Yeah. I've got... Yeah, lots of it. it def definitely. Mm. So um, wood chips really promote the fungi. Okay. And mm. are you going <laughs> to be at the Kalamunda Garden Festival? Sure am. I'll get to have a bit of a chat with people. I think it's 11.15 in the club, I think. And is that oh. which... Is that in March? It's in March on Fifth Sunday, of the March. 5th, 5th, 5th of March. Mm. At what time? Ten. And I'm pretty sure it's... 10 uh, till 3pm? Yes, and I think uh, we get to talk at 11.15. But mm. there's, if you have a look, the number of speakers and the speakers... There's a, a number of speakers who are speaking about some of this sort of stuff. So... Mm. You're going to be spoilt for choice. Yes, absolutely. So we must talk about that more. All right. Now, we we do go to the news at nine o'clock. Faye, we're quick with okay. this one. We should be able to get there. Wendy, hello. Hi, Wendy. Good morning. Wendy from Rivervale here. I've got some practice seed plants and it looks like all around the leaves they're being serrated like something's eating them and a few of the leaves have got holes in them. Mm, and I yes. I didn't know whether it was some sort of army worm or grub. I've sprayed underneath the leaves. I can't find anything there. Mm, okay. Uh, it, it could be a range of things. The weevils come out at no, night. There are katydids, uh, snails and slugs. These are green and leafy, so mm. every, yeah. everything loves them. Um, well, yeah, it I've would be easier to know what... Right, uh, Alan. Sorry, what was pest that? Pest control for tractor seat plants. When we don't know what's eating them, how do we make the plants stronger? Giving them good yeah. nutrition and making sure that they've got the biology to utilise that nutrition, Wendy. So, in the short term, you may need to go to your horticulturalist to find yeah. a short-term solution. But please only use that for very, very short term, and yeah. then build the health of the plant. Yeah, if someone did suggest army well. There is a, a caterpillar that 
can do it. Can you send me a photo because I will have a better idea. Yeah, what's even Other than that, uh, remove the leaves that are very damaged and yeah. keep a check on the new leaves because as soon as there's a little hole in a new leaf, turn it over. Check yeah. morning and night with the torch, compost yeah. And wood chip mulch. <laughs> well, for, for the tractor plant, yeah. yeah, they're still yeah. growing in the forest, yeah. but um, yes, that's certainly we often are short of fungi even in our general. Yeah. Excellent. And when is the good time to separate them? Because they're sort of becoming jammed in there now. They just keep multiplying. I'll, I'll come back to you with that, Wendy. We've got to get to a break. Okay, right, thanks so much. You, are you going to stay on the line, Wendy? Or No, no, we'll come back that. after the news. I'll just tell everyone okay, about it. Okay, excellent. All right, 9 o'clock, everyone. Currently 27.2 degrees and the humidity is sitting at 30 and we are heading for a very hot maximum today of 39. You can expect the minimum overnight to be 25, mostly sunny tomorrow with a maximum of 35. And going into Monday, the minimum overnight will be 20 and it's dropping down a little bit to 33. And I can see that it's dropping down further as the week progresses, 33. Two and 29 and 31. So a, a, a nicer week coming up. Just got to get through today. What's your advice, ladies, for getting out looking? What can we do for our plants on days like today? Well, what don't we do? Where, where they're hanging and they're high up, mm. take them off the hangers and put them at ground level. Get them out of the dirt, um, yeah. And, you know, if you've got spare time, get one of those kitty pools set up with water and a seaweed product and, and dunk them. them. In there, dunk them. That's mm. a really good Help. exercise. Oh, and they them. within days they come back Bounce like you wouldn't back. believe. Yeah. And, and little bits of moisture. So keeping the soil covered is a big one. Big so, one. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. whether that be with you know, some sort of a shade, whether it's green plants is ideal, uh, and a little bit of moisture. So mm. it might not be your watering day, but if you can get out and get hand, those plants bit of hand watering, bit of hand going watering, godsend. Right. Mm -hmm. Just quickly, the best time to divide tractor seat plants is spring and autumn, not in the, the heat of summer and not in the dead of winter. And this goes for most, most most things. Yes, of course. All right. Now, Margaret, we can see that you'll uh, have a call waiting. If you can uh, stay, stay tuned, we are going to cross to Kim Fuster. Now, Kim is the owner of Fuster's Farm Honey. Kim, good morning. Good morning, Faye and Ray. And morning. also we have Ellen with us as well this morning, Kim. Good morning, Kim. Good morning, Ellen. Good morning. Nice to... It's lovely to see your factory yesterday. I was really impressed. It was quite mesmerising, actually. I said When I was there, I said I could watch this all day long. I was watching the honey going into the jars oh. and actually the whole process, it wow. was excellent. Yeah. And, and where is that? Out in the country somewhere? No, the factory's in Malaga. Ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But Kim, yes, it's so. a wonderful story, founded in 1898. WA Business, most important, most important, WA Business. How did it all start? Well, well look, my great-grandparents migrated from the north of England in the late 1890 and first went to Kalgoorlie and then moved to Mushay in around, the, around 1900. And my great-grandfather's brother, Uncle Robert, um, he got some bees from Harvey when he was down there working at Harvey and then brought them back to the farm at Mushay and um, left them there. And um, 
my grandfather had five brothers and five sisters, so they were a very big family back in those days. Yeah. And um, so my grandfather and three of his brothers um, started keeping bees that were Uncle Robert's, and then uh, and then we've been keeping bees ever since. I but, can. Uh, I can just imagine the trip from Harvey to Muche, like mm. on a horse and cart. I mean, yeah. you wouldn't do yeah. that in a few hours like you do today. That would have taken days. That's right. Yes. Oh. My grandfather used to tell a story about when they used to ship the bees with a horse and cart. They used to put the bees on the back of the, the tray or the, the, the cart yeah. and then put, put a put a bag over the horse's head yeah. and back, back him up and took off, take off. Like and, um, that at night. It was at night time a lot of the times, and uh, where it was cool. But uh, you know, you, you you just get that uh, the you know the sense that what if, a, if the bee is stung the horse and the horse be going flat out through the forest? Absolutely. It, you know, it it was uh, it was very difficult. But but back in the nine, early nineteen hundreds, um, lots of people were beekeepers. It was a very good source of income. Um, you know, ten ten to fifteen hives of bees was um, was you know would produce uh, say three to four hundred kilos of honey a year, and uh, so there was a lot of a lot of the beekeeping was just part of their farming enterprise. Gosh, I bet the technology's changed a lot over yeah. the years. That that must have been yeah. very labour intensive then. Yes, it was. Um, everything was done by hand. Um, they used to extract out in the forest um, in a tent, uh, put it in 60-pound tins uh, or the four-gallon bucket and then take it down to uh, Perth to, to try and sell to the supermarkets. And, uh, and that, was, that was how it was done until around about 1926 when there was a lot of honey produced and uh, the West, West Australian or West Gobi was established in my great grandmother's kitchen in 1926. Gosh! So that was the uh, a cooperative that beekeepers formed, and it was the first beekeeping cooperative. Well, still is the only was the only one in in Australia, and uh, and that that was that was you know kept the beekeeping industry uh, profitable through uh, you know through, throughout most of the history of Western Australian beekeeping, and, uh, and of course West West Gobi still. Um, Still operating as a, yeah. as, a, as, a, as a label, but it was bought. It was bought out by an international Eastern States company. Mm. But uh, but yeah, that's uh, yeah. So there's there's still quite a few fiestas beekeeping in the uh, honey industry. There's myself and three other families that uh, the descendants of the original my grandfather's original brothers. And uh, you know we. Uh, you know, we, we're all very passionate about beekeeping, and I think that's what uh, why we why we stay in it. You know, absolutely. Fuster's Farm Honey is one hundred percent pure, organic, no chemicals, no preservatives, preservatives or additives. What's so special about the honey that you create? What's different about it? We're West, West Australian beekeeping. Yeah. You know, we're in the we First are first and foremost. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're in the it's West Australia. We're in the we're in the best country in the world for beekeeping. There's no um, diseases of the bees that we need to treat for. And, you know, Ray, we're, we're the only country in the world that doesn't need chemicals in their beehives. And and uh, 
so we can guarantee that it's 100% pure raw honey. Blessed, aren't we? Mm. Yeah. Most, most of the honey, too, is we, we, it's collected from all the ancient forests and all the bushlands from, uh, you know, from, from Dongri all the way down through to Esperance, Ravensthorpe. And, uh, you know, it's just, we've got such a diverse range of, of, of trees, eucalyptus, flowers, that, uh, you know, our, our, our honey varieties, <clears throat> much like wine, you know, there's a, there's, there's just a huge array of uh, flavours and varieties, and and of course our honey is is well known for its you know, medicinal properties, um, you know, for for, uh, for healing um, wounds, and of course when you eat it, um, it's full of antioxidants, flavonoids, phenolics, which uh, which improves your body's health. It, your gut health, and you, you were mentioning to me yesterday, Kim, that it's low low GI as well. Yes, that's right. People get confused. Yeah, and they put they put they put honey in the sugar. They they, say yes, honey, yes, yes, honey sugar. So honey, honey's not sugar. Honey, it's a complex sugar. So um, when the bees gather the nectar from the flowers, it's a it's it's a sucrose. Basically, that's what it is. And then the bees add an enzyme to it called glucose oxidase, which converts the sugars from glucose from sucrose to glucose and fructose. And um, a lot of our dark honeys, which are the predominantly what we get here, is a nice dark, rich red coloured honeys, and and uh, you know a bit, bit like a good grain hermitage colour. Yeah. They they uh, they've got very low glucose in them, or a lot lower glucose levels. And the lighter honeys, which which you know a lot of shop honeys, um, people like the lighter honey for some reason. For many years, they thought lighter honey was premium, but it's, we found now it's the other way around. It's the other way around. Kim, can I just ask? I know that there are regulations on bringing honey into Western Australia. Like we're very well protected here, but yes. on the other hand, the the hype about manuka honey. Mm. You know, I know that. We we have leptospermum where these um, where this honey is derived from, and yeah. how does manuka honey come into Western Australia? When I understood that no honey products were to come across the border. So since nineteen seventy six, when there were a, a bee disease was discovered in the eastern states, Western Australian borders have been closed to the importation of any bee products or bee material. Uh, they can come in if they're being heat treated. Ah. Okay, so if you buy imported honey, it's had, it's had to be heat treated at 60 degrees for eight hours. And so what does that do? It's, yeah. it's um, the yeah. benefits. Yeah. benefits are gone, yeah. exactly. That's right. So all the... Uh, the the hydrogen peroxide activity, the, you know, a lot of the diff- different phenolics, uh, it destroyed. And of course, when 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 honey gets heated, a chemical called hydromethylfluoride, or HMF, we call it in short, um, is is created, which is a poison. So, um, and we get tested for the HMF in honey, and if it gets above a certain level, it uh, it, it will be rejected. 
So that, so the heating of honey actually, you know, it, it destroys the flavour and it and it um, and it produces the HMF, which is not good for the body. It's a, it's it's toxic. So, you know, it, it, when you if you if you always look for local honey uh, uh, in your supermarket yes. or you know or from wherever you live, um, that that that's the best uh, that's the best honey I think you can you, you can you, you can get. Absolutely, and I know that the raw organic honey or raw yeah. honey can crystallise um, if if it's fresh. Yeah. And of course, if that happens, you know you're yeah. on a good thing, don't you? Yeah, so the, yeah, so the crystallisation process um, it occurs naturally in lots of honey with a high glucose content, which is, which is the lighter honey. And lots of um, packers traditionally used to heat the honey up and super filter it to take out the, the fine pollen particles where the crystal, crystals began, uh, you know, become to form. But... Uh, which of course it's removing a lot of the beauty of the honey, you know, the pollens and the flavour. So uh, our honey is all produced and all packed under an organic uh, uh, reg- reg- regulations. It doesn't matter whether it's organic, uh, which is uh, governed by the standards of the organic societies that we're in. Uh, so it's got to be in five kilometres from any uh, industrial land or farmland. So, you know, the organic honey is collected from inside the, the ancient forest and, well, well, you know, well away from farmland. But uh, the, the the crystallization of honey is natural. Um, if, it, if you get honey that's crystallized, which we've had people ring up and say the honey's gone off, honey doesn't go off. It doesn't, it's, it's the only food that doesn't have an expiry date. Mm. So it never goes off. You just put it in hot water leave it in the sun, it'll come back to a liquid again. Or, it, it, you know, your, your, your father or your, your grandfather would, would know that uh, that all they used to get was crystallised honey and it was such a fantastic uh, experience with the cream, with, with the candied honey or the creamed honey. Mm, yeah. yeah it, uh, so we're getting a few comments coming through as we're talking to you, Kim and Rosemary in Warwick. She actually says she buys your honey and she's enjoying uh, the chat with you to find out the story behind the product. And, of course, someone is asking where they can find the honey. Now, you're in um, all the main supermarket chains here in Perth, aren't you? Yes, yes. Yeah. So we've got four, there's four products in Coles and Woolworths. Yeah. And, um, and our, uh, our premium Jarrah honey, which is the one that's very active and full of phenolics, that's, that's available in Coles. Yeah. And, uh, we also pack. Um, uh, we, we we buy honey from the other beekeepers in, in the state. Who, you know, I might I must add that they, you know the beekeepers in the state of WA do a fantastic job yeah. in, in producing some of the world's best honey. It's just, mm-hmm. and uh, and we, we also we pack for uh, um, other companies that their label goes into the IGA stores. I see. Okay, that's good to know. All right, Squire, we better let you go, get on with your day and uh, appreciate the insight and the information for the listeners. Uh, We we wish you continued success and uh, I'll be talking to you soon. 
Thanks, Ray. Thanks, Kim. That was lovely. Yes, thanks, bye-bye. Kim. All right. Take care of yourself. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. A very interesting young man. Now, we, Margaret and Christopher, we know you're there. Bear with us. Curtain Radio in Perth. 22 minutes after 9, coming up at 10am, George Minoldi. He'll uh, be playing the classic 60s for you till 12 noon. We're in Mundaring. Thanks for waiting, Margaret. Morning, Margaret. Not, not a problem. Good morning, morning girls. Um... I just wanted to um, ask you, Faye, you mentioned a few, uh, well, this year, about ants attracted to pots and particularly pots where the soil is dry so they can build their nests. Mm. Yes. So what I was thinking about the lady with the huge pot with the magnolia, um, what is there something that we can do to... or or follow Ellen's advice uh, to help deter ants from building nests inside pot plants? So probably the main thing is the moisture. The plus, though, is that ants are known, or with research, they've shown that ants actually replace earthworms. So what? <laughs> as far as the sorts mm. of things that they do in the soil. In the soil, yeah, yeah. I'm sure. So, but, of course, they're not very convenient for us. But the moisture... ants will replace... Earthworms. Well, well, they they do a lot of the jobs that earthworms do. So because oh. earthworms need that moisture to do it. So ants are not completely bad. They're actually doing yeah. a good no. job, but they're indicating that your soil is probably too much too dry. And but that's interesting because they make it dry. Like yes. they are so clever at making their tunnels. And you know you can have these ants' nests and you can deal with it and get rid of the ants, but then another colony comes in and takes over. Now, you can use wetting agents, but unless you keep it very moist, they create these tunnels that are, are like water repellent, like they make the saliva. And so they're pretty good. It's a war with us. They are very good. <laughs> we won't always win. It is a, an absolute war. The other thing, ants come back quite soon after fires and ants move seeds around they they collect seeds that has a little protein part called an eleostome or something along those lines and that is a food source so they take that back to the nest so they take this seed back and it goes underground and then when you get rains boom you know you can end up with plants growing where these ants nests were like it's there's a good side to them and they're pretty and there's dozens and dozens of them quite amazing yeah and so i guess then it comes back to how do you keep your soil wet or Mm. moist and so that's you in a more natural way you'd be using your carbon so in your compost teas in your humates and things along those lines carbon so basically carbon based so often a compost are carbon based worm exudates are carbon based if you buy something from the shop in the way of perhaps something called Q-mates. Mm. Uh, so we want to make sure that we've got that. And things like uh, our wetting agents can actually knock out some of that part of things. Mm. So again, in the emergency, use them, but try and use as many of the natural Natural ways products. Of, yes. And, and products that we can make ourselves. So Absolutely. we can create our own worm farms with our waste. We can mm. make our own compost. So mm. when we're... We we chop and drop. We cut things back because the leaves oh. are brown. Drop it on the ground. 
and keep building up those layers and mulch on top yeah. and feeding the soil. And then the soil does the work and some of these products, uh, some of the problems start to go away. Yes. So what, what ratio of when I'm mixing up my potting mix and adding bits of perlite and stuff, what ratio of, say, the potting mix out of the bag with compost would I... I'm sorry, I, I, that, that one I couldn't can, help with. This. Can you go 50-50? You could try. I, I'd suggest experimenting. I actually, I, I don't know the answer. And I think part, it varies on your plant mm. plants, Margaret. Oh, okay. Mm. And you can always top up with compost and maybe a bit of clay as well around the top of the oh. pot. Yeah, and I'm not yes, talking I about... compost. I could use compost as mulch, couldn't I? Yes, Does that matter if the compost dries out? Yes, it does. So cover it, cover it with a bit of straw or, or something like, like that or just incorporate the compost into the top part of the soil. Tickle. Or you can actually, you know, put, sort of put dibble. it... Dibble. Dibble. Is that, is that the dibble word? Is that well, you dib, a, dib, dib. Put a hole in yeah. and then pour it down the hole and yeah. then put ah, some moisture in. Ah, good yeah. idea. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but so, don't, um, it's not about replacing all of the soil with that because that no, will no. problems too. So, yes. No, just no, no, just a mixture of compost with the thing. Because I've in the past used sheep manure, very good as mulch because it doesn't produce weeds and it does provide a nice crust mm. to um, keep the soil moist. Mm. Whatever and works. Get a bit of a drink with your water. I think you're on the right track, Margaret. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for the call. Bye. Bye. Bye for now. And let's go to Dianella. Chris would like to talk about the snake <coughs> chat we were having earlier. Christopher, good morning. Oh, good morning. Yes. I want to know if uh, if I put a bandage on, would that be a sticky plaster or would it be a cloth? Uh, it would Elastic. be a stre stretchy bandage, one. You yeah. can actually get a snake bandage from your local pharmacy. Can you? And right. they, it is slightly stretchy. And I'd say get two mm. um, because from what I heard yesterday, two, if it's on the toe, you've got a lot of bandaging to do. Um, the snake bandage actually has a pattern on it. And I'm pretty sure when you get the tension right, the triangles become squares. So it, a good it's one. quite clever, but it is quite a tight, a tight bandage. Yeah. I, look, I don't... I'm not not the best person to give the medical advice, but there are some good posts floating around on Facebook. Um, so, yes. you know, there's a lot of information there. And I think opening the discussion, sharing the information, I've actually sat my grandkids down and bandaged up their legs. So in the event that it does happen, they know, they, they know the drill. You mm. go into autopilot and everyone knows what to do. They know where the snake bandage no. is kept. It's accessible and we're we're ready in the event. It could just happen All you're right. reaching into a plant and boom. That's right. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I don't want to frighten everyone. It'll probably never happen to you, but if it does, know, know, know the do. drill. Know what to do. Yeah. I mean, we, it, right. we, yeah. we have snakes here. That's the reality. Mm. <coughs> anyway, thanks for that. You're welcome, and Christopher. And Christopher, you, you waited a long time, so thank you. All right. Anyway, thank you as well. All okay. right. Bye. Take Bye. And let's go to Medora Bay. Good morning to Julianne. How are you? Good morning. How are you, ladies? We're great. We're great. Good, thank you. That's good. 
that's good. I'm in a rental and I have to vacate. Um, and I've got a frangipani that I planted, and it's flowering. Is can I pull it out? Well, to take with me. Well, you have to. Yeah, you've got to do it. <laughs> yeah. You, yeah, it. you just have to do it. Take as much of the root ball as you can, so you're not disturbing the roots. It's gone into yeah. its production for producing the flowers, so that's nice. Um, if it yeah. if it's not too big, you can almost do it without it knowing. Put it into a, a nice premium quality potting mix. Give it a drink of seaweed, and uh, don't leave it out in the full sun. Give it some filtered light. Keep it moist. Okay. Mm. Yep. Beautiful. Thank you very much for that. You're welcome, Julianne. Thanks for your call. Bye. 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 All right. Time to give away our $75 gift voucher. Compliments of Kerry up there at Bigger Trees in Pickering Brook. Now, as you hopefully already know, Bigger Trees specialise in frangipanis, ornamental and fruit trees. Currently have a beautiful, colourful flower display of frangies. Perfect time to go and... And, and and if you're in the, in the market for a frangie, you could get to see the colours that you're actually buying. Perfect time. Hibiscus are looking amazing out there, as well as crepe myrtles. They certainly are. Bougainvilleas, desert roses. I bought one of those recently, and I'm really enjoying it. Mine's mm. a decent size. He's as happy as Larry at the moment. And Mandy Villas, they are. Oh, we don't talk about them off. enough. Aren't they just... They are so showy, and so yeah, stroll through uh, bigger trees and uh, and see see all that is there, or you can go online and look at options as well on biggertrees.com.au, and they do have a great Facebook page uh, if you'd like to check them out a little bit further. Here's John's question: You must be a Curtin FM member not to have won a prize in the last twenty eight days. This is a question from the song "The Devil Went to Georgia." by the Charlie Daniels Band. When the devil went to Georgia and came across Johnny, what sort of stump did he jump on? Johnny was a joker, wasn't he? Johnny was a joker. (laughs) No, I don't know. The devil went to Georgia by the Charlie Daniels Band. When the devil went to Georgia and came across Johnny, what sort of stump did he jump on? 94841927. And if you find this hard... Blame John. (laughs) Blame John, our researcher. He likes to come up with all these curlies. Carry on. I would like to thank Patricia because she sent us in a photo of her rose with the curly leaves. Yeah, good on you, Patricia, for achieving that. Thank you. And I suspect, as suspected, I think you've actually got a case of chilli thrips here, Patricia. Uh, like many other gardeners across Perth, there is some distorted leaves. Yes, something's eaten it, but that's probably, um, that will come and go. Now, last weekend we talked to Rob Melville and now is about the time to start giving your roses a good cut back and tidy up the bush. So yeah. this is very timely for you, Patricia. Cut it back by, was it about a third? A, a, a good cut back. Yeah, a, a maximum and, of a third. And mm. then... Six weeks from now, you will get a flush. Now, what I tend to do with my roses, if I'm suspecting chilli thrips, because it won't harm any other good bugs that are around that potentially come in, our predators, uh, get out there with a spray of water in the middle of the day or a couple of times a day because what we want to do is try and change the environment. Chili thrips and other red spider mites, etc., like a dry environment. So if we change that with a bit of misting, it helps them want to move on um, and away from our 
roses. So, yep, that's what you do with that. That's why the fungicide wasn't working because it wasn't a fungal problem. And my lesson with spraying uh, for chili thrip is for some reason when it was hot, I'd automatically get out there with the hose, spray under the leaves, over the leaves. When the weather started cooling off a bit, mm. I stopped doing it. Guess what? Mm. Chili thrip moved in. And mm. some plants are more susceptible than others. Some varieties mm. More susceptible More roses. I've oh, got, totally. I've got the, some roses that have been hit, and others that are just yeah. powering away. The white iceberg is just powering yeah. away, full yeah. bloom at the moment. Unkillable. <laughs> yeah, I, I want. I'm going to replace a couple with more of those icebergs. Yeah, they are yeah. the tough as they are the ones. Okay, we have a winner, Julie Thornley, to our little competition of the $75 gift voucher from Bigger Trees. The question was, when the devil went to Georgia and came across Johnny, what sort of stump did he jump on? The answer is a hickory stump. Well done. And all our lines lit up. So the listeners knew the answer. We didn't. They did. And uh, so congratulations to Julie. A voucher will be on its way to you in the mail this week and let us know what you get with that so thanks for playing and we'll be giving a voucher away again next week Come john certainly does keep us on our toes and yeah big thanks to kerry because she's been doing this for many many months now yes. the voucher. yeah she's a big supporter of let's mm. talk gardening so josephine sent us in an email last week and she's looking for a solution to the south side of her property she's in the hills high up um they have a brick wall on top of a two meter sandstone wall which would be a retaining wall over over the fence is someone's roof so very mindful Uh, of leaves in the gutters she said she planted a buddleia which is pretty but the the leaves still do end up in the neighbor's gutters so she mentioned hanging baskets. She said she she tried, but they weren't successful as the metal carport roof is impossible to hang from. So what I did was I've contacted Leslie Corbett, who has written Fire Safe Gardens, because um, because Josephine wanted something that isn't too flammable. So I kind of went with the not some not something that's going to burn. But looking at the photos she sent, uh, it's it's next to the house. There's a patio roof. She's got a stand there with some pots and a bird bath. There's a it looks like a duranta there. So that would be a good a good choice. However, uh, not sure about the roots and also leaves will end up in the gutter. Now, I reckon. If that was mine, I'd be looking for a, a permanent solution mm. because if you plant something that needs trimming, it's a little difficult. A lot of plants still will lose leaves. Yes. Roots of shrubs are still going to develop over years, maybe you know 10 or 20 years. But I reckon you could get a handyman or handy husband to create a, a beam between the posts of the patio and then run something out and meet up with the brick wall. Then I would at at the base, you could plant into the ground, but you could also put down some weed mat and stones. You could create a framework over the top for hanging baskets. You could create a beautiful little nook, shade house, greenhouse style set up there. You could go tropical plants. It would allow you 
to to do your hanging baskets. Ripsalis would be ideal. They don't need a lot of water. There's a lot you could do to make that area look quite neat and beautiful. And give you privacy and as well. and play and not area. Deal with roots exactly. Mm-hmm. So, and there's beautiful statues mm-hmm. there. You know you. You could really go to town without much work because shade cloth is very lightweight. You don't need anything too heavy. And a framework for, for hanging baskets, yeah, that that area would look really tidy and be quite specky. Okay, like it. All right, let's head to... No, we're going to Leeming actually first. Sandra, how are you? Good, thank you. What I'm chasing is a... Um salt-tolerant plant for an area um, that's just over a foot wide. But what it is, our next-door neighbour has uh, a swimming pool. So, you know, when it uh, splashes over the edges, Ah. it comes down the fence and into our little bit of garden. Mm. Okay. So we... We don't want anything real big because it's just beside the drive near our garage and uh, we just want to put something in there, make it look pretty. I tell you what, Sandra, if you you sent us a photo, I could probably do an even better job. Um, Salt tolerant plants, I mean, how much water are we talking? Mm. Well... We don't really know. It just seeps over. Like it, mm. in the summer when they're in the pool and it splashes over the edges. And um, we've just noticed last year I planted vincas and uh, they were all right for six months and then they started dying off when, once they were in the pool. Once they were in the pool? Yeah. You know, so when they were splashing the water over. Okay. And, you know, vincas are annuals, so that yeah, can happen anyway. anyway. Mm. I When we we drain off our pool um, in the winter time, I've actually got an area that that gets a lot of that water, chlorine water. Um, yep. It's it's close to a lawn. Uh, it's coming through ivy. It's near my citrus. The levels that are coming through are probably not that then not too bad i see your point um and it is it chlorine or is it salt that's no, the other salt. thing it's salt mm. the salt pool okay um so annuals could be good i what might have something to do... like an oleander mm. 30 dwarf, centimeters dwarf is dwarf not oleander. not very big no uh, yeah, no. so coast coastal plants. Oh, I I might need to a low low um, ground cover even type thing. There's... I only want something that'll grow a couple of feet high. Okay, there's a range of grevilleas. There's melaleucas. Uh, they're they're very tolerant once established. Uh, there's lavender. Um, yeah, sounds like you can do all sorts of amazing things with the lavender too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, and it depends on your style of garden too. Like, what are your other shrubs that are around there? There's nothing. There's nothing at all around there. It's just the driveway, and that backs onto the lawn. 
about so things it's like an area place. that's between our big garage at the back of the block mm. and then the oh, I don't know how a car width length yep. a car length long and then it goes on to grass okay there's a variety of uh, carpabrotus or pig face you could you could plant a oh, tree yeah. that's got a canopy like a frangipani potentially down down the line the roots um, the trunk may cause a problem but might be all right for now um, but yeah certainly there'd be a lot of native plants that would suit coastal soils and be tolerant of those conditions but okay. succulents yeah and I my think other that... question sorry I've got another question um, I'm going to transplant my uh, now Zyka Zygo now, very large yeah Zygo or Cycad? It has the long bell type flowers on the cactus. Zygo. Mm. Okay, so a, well, I'm not too Zygo. sure. Yeah, so, I think it's a Zygo. What is it in? A hanging it's basket? Or? Oh, no, it's huge. It's too big for that. I've had it for several years. Is and it I a- keep potting it up each time. I'm not I'm not sure. It's, it's is it a yucca? No. All right. So Sandra, I have to go to a break. If you could um, wait online, we can have a chat with you on the other side. And Chris Chris, I know you're sitting there as well. We will get to you and your sweet corn question. Are you able to hold Sandra? Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you. And we are back. We all get very busy in our little breaks. Are you still there, Sandra? Yes, I am. Look, I can't remember the name of my plant, but anyway, it's shallow-rooted and I'm putting it into a huge uh, pot plant. What I want to know is I only want to put soil in the top part for the actual plant. What can I put in the lower part of the pot Um to fill it as, as a, a spacer. Yeah, mm. as a filler. I have used upside down plastic pots and filled around. So a big pot, oh, right. put a yeah. plastic pot in upside down to the height that you want. Um, and you could use polystyrene as well to fill around the edges and then potting mix in on top of that. Yeah. That's helpful. Thank you very much. Alternatively, you could use something like uh, expanded clay balls or blue metal and then put a layer of shade cloth and then potting mix on top of that. So see what you've got at home um, and use up what you've got. Okay. Thank you very much for your help. You're welcome, Sandra. I'm still curious as to what that plant is. <laughs> oh, I'm away for a couple of weeks, but when I come back, I'll send you a photo. Yeah, that would be great, Sandra. <laughs> Thanks, Thank you, Sandra. Sandra. Okay, bye. Bye. All right, let's get to Butler. Thank you for waiting, Chris. Good morning, ladies. Welcome back. Thank, Thank you. you. Um, last year I had a, a, a really good crop of corn, but the most intriguing thing that I found was that right up the very top of the plant, where that uh, fairy dip comes out top, 
I had corn kernels growing up there. Ooh. Ooh. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, um, I I thought I must have uh, had some sort of um, genetic disordered corn. (laughs) Well, that's very likely. There's a lot of genetically modified corn out there. Um, Did you get a photo, Chris? I did. Oh, good. Can you send it to us, please? I'll do my best. I'm not um, all that familiar how to send photos, but uh, I will do my best. Uh, I've got some very, very... um, Accurate photos of it. Oh, good. Well, I'd be happy to share them. I wonder if that's Because I've never, ever seen it in my lifetime. Right. Okay. One of those anomalies. All right. Well, thanks. Extraordinary things that happen. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Thank you for your call, and I await your photos. Okay. Thank you. Have a good day. You You too. Bye. All right. Let's head to Alexandra Heights talking about native hibiscus cuttings. Chris, good morning. Oh, good morning, Faye and Ray. Um, I've got a native hibiscus, um, three little cuttings. Um, a gentleman gave them to me on Monday, and um, he works at the school as a... Um... I'm on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, my husband's yelling out. Um, oh, they do that. <laughs> yep, yep. He's hanging out the washing seat, so that's what it's all about. Doesn't he know he's not allowed to talk on Saturdays between 8 and 10? <laughs> I didn't think I don't think he realised I was on the phone. Um, now he's given me the three cuttings. I want to put one in the ground, but it is pretty warm at the moment. Um, and I want to put the other two into separate pots. Now um, I don't know if I can do that as yet. I know it's pretty hot today. Well, it's going to be thirty nine today. Mm. And um, uh, but since he gave me them um, on Monday, I'm get something's eating some of the leaves. He had a plastic container over the top of them when he gave them to me, and I've taken it off at night time. So obviously something's getting to them, I'd say. Well, um, I I think you can only inspect them with the magnifying glass to see what's going on and and protect them. Had he, like, planted them into a pot already? Yeah, it's one of those long pots, but he's put the three all all together. That's that's okay. I would leave it and leave the top on. It sounds yep. like he knows what he's doing. I certainly oh, wouldn't yeah. put anything mm. into the ground right now, not All something right. that small. Leave them. Yep. When they develop roots, you will actually yep. be able to separate them and pot them on. And it's oh, quite okay. a common yep. common thing to do, to grow yeah, together I mean, I'm, like that. I'm a pretty good gardener, I must admit, but yep. I'm just worrying about these because I can't get the native hibiscus anyway. So. Well, just keep yeah. them moist. And, and the okay. other thing, if you had a polystyrene box... You can put sand yep. in the bottom and sit the pot on top of that. And what that does was is to just keep it moist. Oh, right. Okay. All right. Mm. I'll do that. Mm. All right. Well, I love your show, ladies. So, Thanks, um, Chris. Going. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. Okay. Take Bye. care. Bye. And Nola phoned in and made the comment that we're not hearing much from Alan, so we're trying to change that, Nola. <laughs> and there's a question right here uh, for you, Alan. How to get rid of nematodes from the garden? Cheryl in Golden Bay oh, would like to know. So is Cheryl on the phone? Or no, she... it's just oh. a it's just a okay. question. Okay, so but I I actually have to go to a break. So can we shall we chat about it on the other side? And we will. Yes, that sounds good. Yeah, and we I can can finish clear... up with a chat from Alan. <laughs> <laughs> Thank okay. you. Got about eight minutes of the garden show remaining, and our special guest in the studio with us this morning, Ellen Walker from Earthwhile Australia. Mm, so and glad to be here. 
It is lovely to have you here. So Cheryl would like to know about getting rid of nematodes in the garden. And John actually said, why would you want to? I'm so glad. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of the questions we'll often ask people is who loves nematodes? Because nematodes are amazing. They really are. So there's a variety, a number of varieties of nematodes. And Cheryl, I expect that if you're asking how to get rid of them, you've probably got a problem perhaps with your carrots or your tomatoes or something like that. So the root feeding nematodes can uh, cause problems. But the good news is that they are indicators. So they're indicators that our plants aren't healthy. They won't attack healthy plants. Or the, and the other part to that is that we haven't got our soil biology in a good mix of things. So the soil biology is affected by putting on synthetic fertilisers, by putting on our sprays and other things. So how to get rid mm. of them? If you've got them there, can I suggest a good quality compost, ideally one that you've made at home that's got lots of brilliant things in, including rock dust and things like that that you've incorporated. Otherwise, uh, in your... In your in your garden, perhaps a seaweed solution as well as your compost mix that you, or, or mm. good quality compost that you'll get from uh, one of the the good places. Mm. <laughs> Can I ask you a question? Yeah. I've been reading a bit on Facebook about um, silica being added, added to plants to help them become more resilient. So what do you know about silica? So silica, what I do know is that apparently ryegrass actually is a forager of silica. Right. And so if you wanted to make uh, a, t- a tea, a weed tea from ryegrass, so you know, pull up your, weed, your weeds and pump them in the bucket and stomp on them and whatever, and then you'll get some silica out of ah. that. But silica is only one thing. And if we yeah. start going down the track of just... One, yeah. You, we, we forget about all of the other bits. Yeah. So calcium is one of the biggest things to actually help our plants get strong and as far as the root feeding nematodes go then that we actually need that mix so mm. and i guess if cheryl's seen that on something like like beans for example mm. it may not be the no. root not nematodes but it actually may be the nitrogen fixing mm. granules it, it, it could Yes, it could be the nitrogen-fixing bacteria, which. but I suspect that if she's asking, then probably there's something that's not looking right about the plant mm. because once they start attacking, whereas the nitrogen-fixing uh, nodules that were on there should actually help the plant actually be lovely and green and look mm. healthy. Mm. So did you know that there's nematodes that eat bacteria and other nematodes that eat fungi and some that will eat everything? Mm. And some that eat other nematodes. They're just absolutely amazing. So what do they look like when we're looking <gasps> oh, down the microscope? Oh, well, they, they actually look like this tiniest little, well, we say worm-like, but they sort of almost, as much as they look a bit like a worm, they actually move like a snake. Mm. Oh, I oh. can't wait. Oh, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if we could actually have the scope here and you could look down at it and actually see on the radio? Well, yes. with the wonders of technology, we actually could do that in the future, Ellen. Oh, really? Because <laughs> I've just I've ordered um, a little thing that attaches to the microscope Yes. for my phone to sit in. Then I will be able to take <laughs> a video and then I will be able to share it. So yeah, watch this space. So, but I guess if people do want to have a look at some nematodes and things, perhaps uh, we'll be at the Kalamunda Garden Festival. You're asking about where we might be uh, talking. Then that's on the 5th, Sunday, the 5th of March. On the previous day, on the 4th of March, we're in Vic Park. And uh, that's with a Switch of Thinking talk. And on March the 18th, we're in the city of Vincent. 
So they're free talks that people can come along. They're organised through the councils and switch your thinking. So check out the... So if people went to your website, Mm. they would be able to locate where you're going to be, where you're giving chats? Or to email us from there and and okay, check. so that's, sometimes we're not as good on social media as we okay. could be. Okay, earthwhileaustralia.com. So earthwhileaustralia.com. That's a very easy one and they can access you through that website and perhaps email you to see where you are going to be available giving chats. And yes. As you say, free. Yes, for And so ones. these will be a great introduction to, to basic soil yes. anatomy, well, to, to, biology. To, to the soil microbiology. So we'll actually show you the organisms down there and explain how they work and what they're actually doing and why you need them. And do mm. people bring soil samples or that's a no-no? It's not a no-no. We do, it depends on our time and how yeah, many people are there. It's very consuming. But we will certainly be looking at some soil that we take from perhaps from the library or wherever mm. it is that we're, yeah. we're there. Yeah, okay. We'd love people to. And there's them. also another series of the, workshops coming up. The with Christine Jones, Dr. Mm. Christine Jones is an eminent soil microbiologist and a soil ecologist in Australia. And she's actually here in Western Australia at the moment for a, a week or two. If people get the chance to come along, so in local area, there's a, uh, she's doing a workshop in Serpentine on the uh, Saturday the 18th of February right. and there's a short talk for around horticulture and perennial sort of plantings in the Perth Hills on the um, 16th of February. Regen WA is the site to go to. Regen WA. Regen WA dot, oops, well, if you search Regen WA yeah, it'll pop up. It. Um, mm. That sounds really interesting oh, actually. She is she amazing. Is, yeah. And the importance, just how she explains it. So that's perhaps at a more advanced level, but it's just incredible. Yeah, I can imagine. We've really appreciated having you in here this morning. And we're sorry if we get sidetracked with other. It's 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 trying to be all things, and uh, I hope we've covered the questions that we needed to today, Faye. Well, just just quickly, um, Robin of Kingsley has got scale on her plants. She wants to know how they get there other than ants. Who really knows? You know, mm. they, they may be harbouring as an egg in the soil and then yeah. ants move them around. Um, she sprays white oil, which is fine. Eco oil is another good one because that brings in other bugs. Um so, yeah, keep an eye on your plants. And sometimes they can hide because they look like part of the stem. So getting out that microscope. We also have another email and it's about ants. We'll tackle that one next week. We will be talking to Leslie Corbett about fire safe gardens she's written a book yes. and also bruce larson will be joining us in the studio it's and we'll be talking time. about orchids okay <laughs> big shout out and thank you to carla champion from yanship lavender farm and kim fuster from fuster's farm honey for their information today which was wonderful and again thank you alan very much for your wisdom and Taking time out of your busy schedule to share with us and our listeners. Uh, Fayakara, thank you. And our team behind the scenes, Bev Daring and John Glidden. Coming up next is our, our one of our faves, one of my faves, certainly George Minoldi with the classic 60s. And my gardenism for the morning is when you plant something, you invest in a beautiful future amidst a stressful, chaotic and at times downright appalling world. <laughs> have to think about that one happy gardening everyone and hey look after yourselves your gardens your animals try and keep cool take care
We hope you've enjoyed listening to another edition of Let's Talk Gardening on Curtain Radio. Happy gardening.